Welcome to the Village Church Podcast. Thanks for stopping by and taking the time to listen. We've prayed that this podcast channel blesses and encourages the Village family. So lean in with an open heart, eager to grow, and enjoy the episode. I just wanted to talk about worship before. That was beautiful worship, and I just... It's so, so cool to see so many pe- people stepping up and leading uh, worship in the way that they do. Incredible skills and voices. And um, one thing I just want to remind you guys all, and I, and I know you probably know this already, but um, there are lots of things that we can think about when we worship. I think probably the strongest understanding of worship is actually battle. Um, when we worship, and I know some people don't, really vibe worshipping like I, I sometimes look around and um, like I know people are in some other place I, I like it I'm, I'm, I'm a terrible singer but I just encourage you that worship is is battle if you think that it's maybe just the singing at the start it, it's more than that um, this, this is actually battle and I, I love that song about the, the victory and um, when we clap what during worship or we holler or whatever you hear, someone gets excited and screams out. I'm one of those people sometimes. I just want you to know that what we're doing is we're celebrating the victory of Jesus. And if we look at the kingdom of God, and you know, Phil just prayed for the kids that they might go out and share the kingdom of God with them at school. I think it's like, it brings me to tears thinking about my kids going into their, their school and actually telling people about Jesus. Um, but what's actually going on when we do that is we're actually we're sending out worship we've got this this worship battle that's going on and this the extension of the kingdom looks like this worshiping going out proclaiming the kingdom and worshiping Jesus in spirit and in truth and so I just really want to encourage you all it was great today and um, especially I know some guys can find worship a bit hard to get into but just if you understand that it is battle um, and we are proclaiming the victory of Jesus. And we'll talk a bit more about that victory later on today. All right. Um, I'm going to start off by getting Heidi up here. Where's Heidi? Good morning. So I'm going to be reading from John chapter 11. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, 
And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found out that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met with him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been there, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, Jesus said to her your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met with him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odour, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had, died, who had come with Mary had seen what he did, believed in him, but some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do? For this man has performed many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was a high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this on his own accord, but being the high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but to gather into one the children of God who were scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. 
Jesus, therefore, no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there to a region near the wilderness, to a town called Ephraim, and there he stayed with his disciples. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand. Thank you, Heidi. Um, thank you for doing that. You're a far better reader than me, um, and it's much appreciated. Um, I really liked Phil's comment before, and thank you, Phil, for bringing that, about um, opening your Bibles regularly and reading from your Bibles. Um, it's something that many of us at times in our lives might have struggled with or maybe struggle with right now um, for lots of different reasons. And... Um, I just wanted to make a couple of comments about that, because I relate to that. If you were that person, I relate to you. And uh, I just wanted to say, there can be expectations on people. Um, I really long to be that person that can just systematically read through the Bible, um, start at the beginning, and work my way through to the end, and just... Yeah, just uh, reading a passage. They've got those those reading the Bible in a year programs, and I think they're fantastic. And that's probably Plan A. But I find that they've never worked for me. They've never worked for me. So if that works for you, well done. I wish I was like that. But if that's not you, can I just say something to you, please? Okay, and that might be a few of you. I won't ask you to put up your hands. Um. I struggle with that because I find myself getting legalistic, or I don't even know. I don't even know why it is I struggle with it. But I find myself reading and not hearing. Yeah? And what I really, there's a guy who died a little while ago, he had this great statement where he said that um, anything that you do in worship that you would feel guilty if you didn't do has no value to God. And so as we read our Bibles, we want to read in a way that we can give worship in spirit and in truth. And there is no place for condemnation. So if you feel condemned because you struggle to read the Bible in that manner, remember that's not of God. And if it's not of God, then you've got to ask where it's from. And so one of the things I try and do, and if this liberates you, there are lots of different ways that people can do things. One of the things I try and do is just work through with the church. As the church reads through series, like we're working through John at the moment, just read through John. Get stuck into it. You know, stay with, stay with the preaching. You know, pick through it before someone gets up to preach about it. And that might be something that really works for you and it works for me. And I don't want you to feel any condemnation if that's the thing for you. Okay? So, Please hear what I'm saying. I want this to be a the words of life. I want it to be something that liberates people. And I want it to be something that you long to go and spend time just meditating on. Now, this sermon's going to be a bit different, partly because I'm different. Uh, I'm a teacher. I do it all day. And... Um, uh, and it's different because as I, I actually prepared the sermon last week and I had a stack of kids in our church and if we don't talk to them, they get noisy. And so I decided I'd try and focus on them. So it's got a little bit of that um, reflection in it as well. But I'm going to go through and when I read through this passage, I kind of like, and this is a good thing to do, take, have a little pencil with you. Some people might find this sacrilegious. But actually, if you're reading through and you're like, 
eh? I don't get that. What's going on there? And I, I, I guarantee every single one of you would have actually been able to put like a little asterisk next to something or underline something. Read through scripture and go, oh, that's crazy. Why did he say that for? Especially if it's Jesus speaking. Um, and then go back and try and read it again. Try and piece it all together. Don't just read like you've got to get it done. Read and question. Ask questions of the text. So, you know, there are some situations there, like when Jesus replied, there were 12 hours of daylight every day. During the day, people can walk safely. They can see because they had the light of this world. But at night, there is danger of stumbling because they have no light. Where does that fit in? It seems like a crazy thing to put into the text. So um, I, I challenge you to actually, I'm, I'm not actually going to answer that, why that's there today. yeah. But I encourage you to underline that and go and say, hey, why is that there? What does that mean? What's Jesus talking about? So ask questions of the text. But I am going to ask some questions of the text today. So I'm going to do a quick introduction. I'm taking a while to get going here, aren't I? I'll quickly pray. Lord, I just pray that you might um, bless my words, um, that my words might reflect your spirit at work in me, and your spirit also at work in Scripture, and also your spirit at work in those here in this room, that you might bring your kingdom to bear upon all our hearts and minds, that you might transform us with your grace so that we may boldly and confidently and with joy dispense your grace everywhere we go. We just pray this in Jesus' name. Um, Okay, quick introduction. We're looking through John. We're looking at I am statements. Do you know that there are other things going on in in John? Do you know any other forms of seven that we have in the book of John? There are seven I am statements. Okay, all right. So, not, no one put their hands up. So, we're just going to try and crank up the uh, crank up the momentum here. There was someone said miracles. Who was that at the back? Oh, yeah, well done. Um, oh, that was pretty good. They're only light, so I got chose light lollies that won't hurt anyone. So, all right. So, there's there's seven I am statements, seven miracles. What else is there? Seven. Whoa. You both put your hands up, and you both spoke at the same time. Um, you're going to get one each, because that's the Spirit of God at work, I reckon. <laughs> that was miraculous. Are you ready? Oh, here you go, James. Sorry, Soph. Sorry. <laughs> I'm not a very good thrower, obviously. Um, there we go. I'll go through these, actually, because there's actually seven of these things. Now, I'm not one for numerology, but it turns out that John and the people that wrote this, uh, this gospel really like the number seven, okay? So I'll just go through this. We're working through the I am statements. This is the fifth I am statement, which means it's the, it's the fifth sermon that you have heard on this. It's the seventh and the final sign, okay? Now, I would also add there that there's actually, it's a penultimate sign, Okay, and we'll talk more about that later on. We also have um, seven major discourses. Okay, we have seven people who testify that Jesus is the Messiah. We have seven ministries of the Holy Spirit, seven life changing conversations, seven women who are talked about at um, depth within Scripture, 
And at the end, we have seven questions from Pilate. Now, I want you to understand that John is a funny book. It's kind of like a, a book full of amazing stories. Like this story here is gripping. And I love the story before of the, the, um, the, the man born blind from birth and the way he engaged with the Pharisees in that circumstance. So you as a kid, if you are a kid, can enjoy this. Okay, Or if you're new to the face, you, you can enjoy these stories. I promise you, you will not get to the bottom of John. As you study it more and more, and you look at how it's interconnected, it is bottomless. Okay, Blue whales couldn't reach the bottom of John. Okay, yeah, But dolphins can quite happily flap along the surface. All right? So here we are in John. So we got, what did I say? It's the fifth I am statement. It's the seventh and final um, sign. And uh, there is a lot going on in John. Now, we're going to ask some questions. As I said before, questions are important. When you're reading scripture and you go from here, I encourage you not to read in order to get the reading done and get on with your day. Slow it down, read less possibly, and try and ask some good questions of the text. Okay, first question. Can we put it up there? Um, Did Jesus know that he would raise Lazarus? Did he know? Yeah, I see some nodding. Not a single hand up, so no one gets a lolly. Okay, all right, yes. Did he know? Yeah, okay, how did he know? (laughs) That that was a bit stink, wasn't it? Okay, I'll read it then, just to prime people going forward. You're really wishing you didn't put your hand up. I'll give you the lolly anyway. You can have it, okay? Oh, oh, Lynn. (laughs) Okay, Phil, I need to deliver these lollies from now on. I feel so convicted. Okay, you can stand here next to me. Oh, yeah, that was terrible. Sorry, Lynn. I love you. (laughs) You're amazing. Okay, all right. Did Jesus know? Yes, he did. And if we look in uh, uh, John 11, 4, what does he say? He says, but when Jesus heard about it, he said, mm, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God, so that the Son of God would receive glory from this, which is pretty special. And it's my prayer today that he's receiving glory right now as we, we retell the story and uh, God's Spirit uh, works in our hearts and transforms us into his image. All right. There we go. So he knew that he was going to resurrect uh, John. He knew the end before he even started this process. Okay. Can we go on to question number, uh, yeah, question number two, please? Now, it says here, I, I just kind of give a bit more detail about this. Question two, you can read there, and it's, um, where are we? In 11.33, it says, A deep anger welled up within him. A deep anger welled up within him. Now, if Jesus knew the end that Lazarus was going to be laid, uh, was going to be raised from the dead, why did a deep anger well up within him? What's going on there? Is anyone going to venture? See, this is not a superficial question. This is actually going a little bit deeper. Why do you think Jesus was angry? Oh yeah, we got another. John, John. Because death took him. 
I, th- I, think, I think that's, that's right on track. He's angry at death. What else, what else could be going on there? There might be two lollies. Yeah, you can give him one. That's good. Well, I'll, I'll say this. Oh, you want to add in there? Ah, yeah, some good stuff. There's some good stuff. He's angry at death, and he knew what was coming up. Okay? He knew what was coming up. When I, when I said this last week, I was blown away, and I wondered if he'd read my notes. But my son, when I asked this, he, Frankie put up his hand. He's the youngest one. And he said he was angry at the snake. And I was like... Mic drop. I didn't drop the mic, but I was kind of, kind of like it was one of those mic drop moments, and I thought, well done, Frankie. He, he's angry at the snake. Yeah? He's, he's furious. Now, if we're talking about anger, it's not like he was a little bit grumpy. The term there, if we were to translate it, the best translation I've come across in my reading is he was bristling. He was bristling. Yeah? He was bristling. We understand that Jesus is the Word. At the start of John, it says, "He is the Word who spoke all things into creation." And if you, and it takes you back essentially to Genesis. We can go through and see that it's through God's Word, Jesus Himself, that He creates and He creates life. Sin and that serpent, yeah, brought unlife brought unlife into this world and Jesus is angry. Yeah? The best way I could think about this, my wife didn't like it so much, but I like it anyway and I'm going to share with you all the same is that um, Adam was put onto this world and put into a garden to do lots of things but if I was to summarize what he was here, put here to do is to, to guard. Yeah? To, to nurture and to guard or to protect. That's what Jesus, uh, Adam's mandate was. The first Adam was to protect and to nurture the world that God had given him. And he failed in both those two ways. The best way I can understand it as a husband and a father, and this is really a great illustration of what actually proper manhood is is that Jesus is the true human, the ultimate man, who sees his bride under attack. He sees his creation being damaged. And any good man worth his salt who sees his family threatened bristles with anger. Yeah? He gets in his heart ready for the fight. If you're going to threaten my family, I'm not going to take it lying down. We have Jesus here bristling for the fight. Now, the way Jesus brought the fight was different to the way that any of the people in the first century would have ever imagined. But we get Jesus bristling for the fight because he's going to take on Satan. And we're going to see that very shortly. All right. That's question two. Question three. Are you ready? Why then, if Jesus knew that he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead, why do we see him? We've already talked about the anger. Why was he angry? 
The second thing here is why did he weep? It's this, like the shortest passage or the verse, I should say, pericope if you like, if you want to get geeky on it, in the Bible, in the New Testament. Why did he weep? Why would you weep if you knew what the end was and Lazarus is going to get raised from the grave? Shannon. Disappointed for the lack of faith. I think definitely you can see lack of faith in there. And you can see that the whole reason why he's showing this is so that people might believe and understand who he is. I think that's part of it. Why else might he weep? Yeah. Brilliant. Okay. Can I just elaborate on what you said a little bit more? Because that's a brilliant answer. Is that Jesus... He loves Mary, and he loves Martha. He adores them. And he's weeping because they're weeping. He's right there with them. And I dare say, even though they might be sisters of Lazarus, Jesus feels it more keenly than any of them put together. Now, what does that mean for us? Um, I'm not going to put, get people to put up hands, but I think all of us here experience loss. All of us here experience grief. All of us have gone through bereavement or will go through bereavement of close ones that we love. And a question that's commonly asked in that circumstance is where is Jesus? Just like Mary... And just like Martha, Jesus, if you were only here, my brother wouldn't have died. And what's Jesus' response? His response is to cry with them. And that might be speaking to people here right now who are going through intense grief. I really want you to know, to come away from today, knowing that Jesus is weeping with you as you weep. Yeah, You might have grief ahead of you that you're aware of. But Jesus, as he weeps, he's not unmoved. He's not uncaring. He's right there weeping with you. He carries our sorrows. Jesus is... Well, you may have heard people say before when they've made mistakes or they've done silly things, they've sinned, they've said, I'm only human. But do you know what? Jesus is the true only human. And he tells us how to be human. And so it's good for us to get angry at times about things that we should get angry about that displease God. What we do with that anger is another matter. And it's also good for us to grieve, to weep, to feel the pain of the world around us. So as we go on, especially men, this is a restoration of manhood here in Jesus. We see men who are fierce when they need to be. And we also have men here who can empathize and weep deeply with a broken world. 
with sadness, with grief, with loss, with death at work in our midst. Question four. Um, This is a funny one. Where is Lazarus now? This is more superficial, if anyone's worried about it. Where is Lazarus now? Don't go too deep here. I don't want to have an argument about all sorts of different things. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah, you could you could say that. I'm just going to simply say that he's dead. Um, <laughs> because if he was still alive, I'm pretty sure we'll know about it. Um, we had our, in our preaching breakfast, we had a big discussion about um, where he might be right now, and and I gave my um, my my uh, my physics informed uh, answer, and they looked at me strangely. So I won't go into that. But we don't. We know that he's dead. Yeah. Um, and I'll leave it at that. <laughs> But where where it takes us is interesting. Um, Jesus, Lazarus died and Jesus raised him from the dead and then he died. What was the point in raising him if he's going to end up dead anyway? That was a waste of time, wasn't it? Yeah? No, don't hear me say that, please. Uh, that was, wasn't a waste of time. I repent of that statement. But it is confusing, isn't it? That ultimately, although Lazarus was raised, he's dead now. Where he is, we trust he's with Jesus. Yeah? But we live in this situation, um, if we move on to the next slide, where we are in the now, but not yet. Okay? I'm going to talk more about this. Let's move on to the next slide. We see this here with... This is the not yet. This is the not yet that Martha initially responds to um, Jesus with. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said, yes, yes. He will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. Now this was a widely held belief amongst Jews of the day. There were a couple of sects that didn't believe this. And obviously, you, many of you will know it's the Sadducees are one of them, and that's probably why they were sad. But um, they didn't believe in the resurrection. They had this belief that somehow people would live through their offspring, which is kind of like what we kind of consider a bit of a new agey, flowery view. And so they were like the flowery kind of Jews, if you like. But most people believed that there would be this resurrection at the end. All right, so that was a commonly held view. That there is the not yet. That's the age to come that Martha's referring to. Yeah? But how does Jesus respond? Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never Never, never die. It's a pretty profound statement. It's a pretty profound statement. Um, 
Jesus, do you notice here, let me just ask questions of this text. Jesus doesn't say, hey, I've got the ability to resurrect people. He doesn't say that. Like it's this cool magic trick that he can do. He says, I am the resurrection. I'm the undeath. Death may be in this world, but I'm the undeath. And I'm the life. Think back to Genesis 1. The word speaking all things into being. We can see it at the beginning of John as well. This is the Jesus. He's not saying, I can do resurrection tricks. I'm not a, like, a, like a lever, quick, clever miracle worker. That's not what I'm doing here. Please don't misunderstand me. I can't make things alive like that. I am life. I'm the life from the beginning. We'll see where he's going with this shortly. The life of the world is about to battle. The husband is about to defeat the snake. He's about to do battle. He's bristling so he can get his bride back. To, to get back his family. Keep on going. Then Jesus, after that mic, mic drop, I am the life. I am the resurrection, which is the anti-death. He then shouts, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus walks out. Can you go to the next slide? Actually, go back one. I just want to add a little bit more into this. Can you see what's happening here, people? And I want you to understand it. I'm going to make it try and so that it kind of wrestles with you and sits with you in a way that can actually help you on a daily basis. We have this situation where we have a future hope. And the Bible often calls this the age to come. We have a confidence in the age to come. But then we also have a situation where Jesus... He was born, incarnated. He served as we should serve and showed us the way. And then he died and he took on death. But death couldn't hold him. He defeated death. And what we have is we wrestle with death while we experience life around us all the time. We're in the now. Yes, Jesus has risen from the grave. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. But we also have the net, not yet. We know that Jesus will one day return, that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is the Lord. We live in this difficult in-between time where the current age, the, the now, crosses over with the age to come. And it's a difficult space, and we long for the, the day when Jesus returns and he makes all things new. 
Now, it's important, and I don't have too much time to work on it at the moment, but that is a physical life. We can have a platonic view at times that the, that, that the spirit is all important and the flesh is inconsequential. But I want you to understand that that is not a Jewish idea and that is not a Christian idea. We are physical beings. And God, when he resurrects, he resurrects physically. So bear this in mind. It's one of the most commonly held misconceptions about Christian faith is that we long to physical resurrection. That is our hope. And I encourage you to read uh, 1 Corinthians 15 if you want some homework. Have a read through of that. And um, Paul, uh, I guess, lays down this challenge to his readers very, very carefully. Very, very cleverly. Okay, next one. Next question. Question five. Who else rose from a tomb? Phil, you ready? This is a challenging one. Yes. Jesus. That's what I like to hear. Well done, Alan. Jesus rose from a tomb. And this is where we're going. Jesus, Jesus rose from a tomb. Now, how is Jesus and Lazarus similar and how are they different? This is a compare and contrast question, okay? You may have done this in school. They're similar in the fact that they both experienced resurrection. Yeah, and there's many, many witnesses to both. But how are they different? The difference is, is that Lazarus died and Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive and he's physical. Not like we know it. It's like physicality 2.0. It's like it's like next generation. Whatever phone you've got, it's like the next the next phone out that's always better, okay? So however good your body might be, you can guarantee that Jesus' body is better, all right? And that's what we hope for and that's what we long for. The Bible talks about Jesus being the first fruits, okay? Or the deposit. And what we long for is to have a body like Jesus's. It's physical, but it can do so much more. And right now, you'll notice that Jesus in the Gospels, he is actually goes up. He he leaves he leaves this world to be with his Father physically in heaven. So we see Jesus now ruling and reigning in heaven in physical form. And one day he will return and he will bring his physicality to all that have passed and are in him. All right, next one. There we go. I think I spoiled that question. All right, let's move on. Next one. Jesus is the life Jesus is at, is at work in us. He is alive in us. And all of us here, as I said before, experience grief in one way or another. Because we're in this in-between time. If you move on to the next slide, you'll see what I'm talking about. This was Martha's view, as I talked about before, where we had this, this age, this age right now, 
And then they had this view that the coming of the Messiah would cause the outpouring of the Spirit and a general resurrection of the dead. But what we actually experience in Jesus is this. This is us. We had the age, and then we're in this situation now where we've got the already and not yet. We're in this stage of wrestling. Paul talks about it as if being in birth pangs. Like there is a new creation being born in this world. And it doesn't feel comfortable at times. We see life and we can feel the life coming through. And I want you guys to wrestle with this. Paul, uh, not Paul. Phil talked previously about opening your Bibles on a daily basis. Yeah, reading, reading from the Scriptures and letting the life flow through you. As you do that, I can guarantee you'll experience this already and not yet going on. Some days... It will feel easy, and some days it will not feel easy. Some days it will feel like everything is dying within you, and then other days you will feel life flowing through. And that's the nature of our life of worship. We live in this now but not yet. We wrestle with reality and the heartache around us, knowing that we have the promise of life in Jesus I'm going to finish up by looking at Martha and Martha's challenge. Can I read this section here? It's um, John 11, 25. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everybody who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Jesus doesn't leave it there. He doesn't leave it there. And he never leaves us there either. He never leaves us with just information. He doesn't leave us with superficial information that might sound interesting. He leaves us with a question. He asked Martha in this situation, do you believe this, Martha? Do you believe it? Her response, yes, Lord. I've always believed that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. My challenge for you guys today is that he is asking each and every single one of us the same question. Do you believe? Do you believe? In this world of brokenness and sadness, where we see glimpses of God's kingdom breaking through, do you believe? Do you believe that 
Jesus is the life. That Jesus was there at the beginning, creating all things and breathing life into all things. And do you believe that Jesus is the undeath? Do you believe that Jesus is the good husband? The faithful husband who bristled with anger and felt your sorrows, the sorrows in your own life, to the point that he was willing to do something about it. Is that you? Are you able to say, yes, Lord? Yes, Lord. Is that your response? Yes, Lord. Philip read from Philippians 3, 8 to 11. I'm just going to read this out now because I just thought it was amazing what he said. Uh, This is Paul writing to the church in Philippi. Once I thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Jesus Christ as my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else. Counting it all as garbage, filthy rags, strong language here, guys, so that I can gain Christ, so that I might say, yes, Lord, and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ. For God's way of making us right now, marking us right now with Himself, depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised Him from the dead. I want to suffer with Him, sharing in His death, so that one way or another I'll experience the resurrection from the dead. Can we please stand? And I'm going to pray for you guys. Lord, I thank you for Jesus. And I thank you for revealing to us who he truly is. I thank you that we might hear, know him truly as the resurrection and the life, as the undeath, the last great enemy, the destroyer of death. I 
I just want to pray for people here right now who are wrestling with this question. Who are wrestling about what their response to Jesus' question is, do you believe this? Lord, I just pray for those right now who are wrestling. They're on the cusp. They may have been raised in a Christian family, have been surrounded by talk of Christianity their whole life, Lord. But I just pray that you might have your will today in their hearts. I pray for those that they may say yes to your life. Yes to your eternal life. Lord, I also lift up those here who are wrestling, who are wrestling with heartbreak, with those who are wrestling with death at work amongst them. And I just pray that they might know your embrace that they may hear your sweet whisper, know your presence in their life as they experience sadness and brokenness in this current age. Bless them, Lord. Keep them close. I pray, Lord, that you might lead us as a community to be your hands and your feet in the lives of those that are hurting right now. And I also pray, Lord, that you might inflict upon us your anger, Lord, that we might bristle, that we might bristle against injustice, that you might give us the courage to lay down our lives as you laid down your life, Lord, to stand up for the things of your kingdom that we might stand up for your kingdom in the now, Lord. That although we experience death and decay and injustice in this, this age, Lord, that we may live out your future in the present, Lord. And I pray that you might give us the courage to do so, Lord, whatever the cost. I pray, Lord, that we might be a church that sends, that sends, sends people to proclaim the gospel, but also sends people to fight death and decay in your name, Lord. Trusting in your power that raised you from the grave. Lord, you are our hope. And we long to be with you one day, to see you face to face, to gaze upon your eyes, and to know your embrace in a physical way, Lord. Lord, we pray all these things so that, as you say here, so that the Son of God would receive glory from this that God would be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thank you, Angus.